Welcome to Sage Up, a podcast about anything and everything that involves all of us on some level to better ourselves, our community, our society, humanity as a whole, by making the most impeccable choices as decent human beings. Higher vibrations and scientific data work together to make this podcast happen. I'm your host, Elle. We have a lot to talk about, so get comfy and enjoy this journey with me. Okay, media literacy. What is that? Well, let's first start off with asking, what is media? Now, we have all maybe heard or even said phrases such as fake news, fake news media, fake media, leftist media, conservative media, far-right media, extremist media, and biased media. But what do all of these really mean? Well, I'm going to dissect these rhetorical phrases and why they're being tossed around, understanding the conscious and subconscious intent behind them. But first things first, if you do say any of those phrases, I hate to break it to you, but you're partly to completely inaccurate. I'm not hating on you. I'm just calling it like it is. And so if you you know, want to, um, you know, decide to listen to the full content of this episode. Um, I'm actually going to break this episode into two parts because I don't want it to be too lengthy all in one spiel here. But again, I think it's important that we start with the foundational understanding of what media is and where news comes in and why news is tossed around with media and media news, so on and so forth. News is a type of media, and the forms and platforms of media are growing every day. So news is just one form of media. So think about um, how things were uh, conveyed back in the day when we didn't even have telephones. It was all word of mouth. And then telephones came, telegrams came. But we also noticed that if we had word of mouth, you know, through telegram, through telephone, even, you know, that game of telephone, a lot of people understand the concept of, you know, one person getting on the phone and telling uh, another person a story. And then that person that just received the information tells it to somebody else and so on and so forth. And by the end, the story can get all jumbled up and it's not coming out the way it was originally um, constructed. So that can happen with many different forms of media, especially social media these days. And so we're gonna we're definitely gonna talk about social media and where that comes in as well. Um, but we also have to know too that you know we have newspapers, we have radio. Um, and in that uh, with radio and then of course TV, we have commercials, news shows, TV shows, reality and fiction, we have movies, we have plays, music, billboard ads, signs and banners, flyers, brochures, menus, magazines, books, email, even speeches are all forms of media because they are delivering something. They're delivering information or they're delivering an, delivering an interest or a gimmick to buy something. 
So they are all forms of media, uh, entertainment, of course. So all of these forms of media are there to reach different people and cater to different audiences. Some can be more convenient or helpful for some more than others. Um, and they all have different messages that they are trying to relay to their target audiences. What are those messages? That's a good question to start with when you're undergoing a deep understanding of, of what you're faced with in the media and media literacy and how media influences you, even at subconscious levels. It can. <laughs> so a suggestion for you would be to see how aware you are of all the media that you come across on a daily basis. So pay attention to everything that you see and hear from the moment that, we, that you wake to the moment you go to bed and ask yourself, is this a form of media? Is it trying to tell me something? Is it trying to ask me to do something? Um, is it trying to get me to think about something or um, react? Uh, is someone trying to tell me something or provide me with information on something? Refer back to the list that I just mentioned of all the forms of media Perhaps there's a form that I didn't mention that you end up coming across. So again, there are so many forms of media and they seem to just keep popping up and evolving every day. Now, there seems to be, these days, there seems to be a website or an app for any interest you can imagine. But overall, media is forever just developing before our eyes. Um, so... Going back to like, let's take the 20th century, for instance. This was the mother of all eras to demonstrate this. For example, internet technically was born in 1983. And soon we had what were called private messengers. We had chat rooms that we could dial up to interact with others on. The internet itself, I don't think, realized its own capabilities at that time. And now look at us. Before you knew it, we could have social networks online. You could contact someone instantly via email, even from across the world. So for those of you, uh, those who have grown up or had lived during these vastly changing times, me being one of them, it is surreal to think that at one point we were planning our day around our coveted TV show um, or tuning into the news and reading the newspaper was how we got the news. And then before you knew it, it was like we were getting jobs from emailing Word document resume attachments and we were depending on MapQuest directions to get us somewhere. Um, so very rapidly growing. Um, and then enter social media. Uh, social media is the biggest, most influential form of media currently out there. And social media, it was originally created, though, to network, uh, whether it be for work or just growing a social network with strangers all over the world, um, you know, kind of having your digital pen pals, uh, and to stay connected with dear ones that you can't normally visit in person. But now, if you look at it, especially like I, I take an example of Facebook, it's it's a cesspool of opinions and memes and videos and articles that rarely anybody reads past the headline and takes it for what it means to them. Speaking of, 
the words in articles and, and the headlines of articles are what reels people in. A part of media literacy is distinguishing these fire words, attention-getting words, that would ignite an emotional emotion or a curiosity to get you to read that article. More, more often than not, though, article headlines with gimmicky or fiery headlines that are attention-getting typically do not line up with the content. So what happens here is that when the person reads the headline, it will immediately spark an implicit bias, an unconscious judgment of what the content will be about. Uh, if the reader actually chooses to open and read this article, even in its entirety, without being prepared to like analytically or objectively dissect the message of the article, they're bound to take away a biased stance irregardless based on the preset of the headline. And you would probably miss any kind of red flags or oddities of the article, such as inaccuracies, contradictions, false statements, misspellings, or even where the article came from, which is a whole other piece of the pie to media literacy, which we'll talk about. And the same thing can go for speeches, uh, other social media posts and content, TV shows, and so on. Uh, so it's it's really good to be aware of these um, the headlines and the words that are used. And even like I like to highlight speeches and paying attention to the, the words that are used and repeated um, to get you reeled in, to get you curious or to, to ignite that implicit bias. It's kind of interesting. Um, also, something to know, too, is when you're looking at articles, something to look for when it comes to media literacy is there are some things that you want to look for within the article to verify it. So typically you are going to see verifiable linked sources to back up any claims that they're making. If there are no linked sources um, that are going to be, um, you know, more trusted sources, things like that, um, then chances are the article itself might be a little suspicious. Something else to look for is the info that was in this article is also found on multiple news sources. But if it's only coming from one source, you might want to kind of steer clear of um, possibly sharing this information until you can verify the information. Um, and it's easy to research content. So whatever the article is talking about, you can research it. And again, that goes back to the uh, being able to find this information on multiple news sources or other types of information sources. Um, so I like highlighting uh, internet because that tends to be our main uh, platform when it comes to getting our news, unless you still watch news on the TV or get it on the radio. But um, we have to understand too, the internet is just con conveniently within our reach pretty much everywhere we go because we have cell phones, we have Wi-Fi. And technically we have the ability to just whip up a website or launch an app. And it's now submerged in, in, in this online communication, interaction uh, and references that we can access even in our sleep. Yeah, there are apps and stuff that help us with our sleep and our dreams and circadian rhythms. So yeah, they're still working for us and it's still affecting us in our sleep. So 
now we're at this point that we don't know who to trust though, because there's so much out there and it is just flying at us. Yet we tend to regurgitate the information that we saw on social media or YouTube or from a friend. So apparently we are trusting things from social media or YouTube or from our friends. Um, some of us choose to take the unfortunately necessary measure of researching certain media messages because they don't seem completely factual or they're out of context, especially if you hear it, like I said, through these interesting sources, who, you know, um, but some choose to believe all they see and hear. But we shouldn't even have to be at this point um, of, of deciding what's true and what's not true. Um, one caveat that we have when it comes to this of the First Amendment is the fact that in America, anything goes. And we've seen that as of recent, uh, just about. However, in recent years, especially 2020 showed us this, that some social media platforms worked on squashing misinformation and disinformation, which people took as censoring. The one thing that some people don't realize is that social media platforms have that option to police their content as they wish. It is their domain since we do not pay for it directly. We may pay via like seeing ads and stuff, but we are not directly paying to access these social media platforms. Therefore, it is the owner's domain. So they have control. Think of like a Facebook group, for instance. Groups have rules. And when you join, you're supposed to commit to these rules. And if you break one of the rules, you're probably on your way out. Same thing applies for the social media platforms themselves. And typically, it allows users to report other user content and uh, accounts as well, um, showing that integrity of the users. But platforms itself can actually pull the plug. Um, I like giving this uh, analogy. Let's take Facebook, for instance, or, or Instagram, uh, or Twitter, where a lot of the content was uh, being pulled down or even flagged for misinformation or disinformation and where the idea of being censored came from. So think of social media. Let's take Facebook, for instance. Think of Facebook as an ice skating rink. So it's big, it's white, it's slippery. And then let's say you have like tens of thousands of white marbles and then you have maybe half of that uh, very light yellow marbles. And the white marbles just represent, you know, good content, nothing wrong with it, nothing uh, harmful, nothing misleading. And then you have the content, whether it be groups or pages or posts or videos um, that are being spread and they start to spread like wildfire because they all start with one source, whether it be a group or a certain account, and then it's just shared and shared and shared, and so it multiplies. So throw all of these marbles onto the ice skating rink, okay? Tens and thousands of these marbles flying all around, and you know, at a distance, you can't tell which is which. You can't tell the difference uh, from one or the other, and they're all over the place, and they're still hard to see on this white surface. So think of the staff 
uh, behind, you know, social media that are trying to make sure that their content is um, staying within their parameters, right? So, well, part of it is that they're tracking down the root sources of any misinformation or disinformation that would be coming from certain groups uh, and pages and shutting those down, which they were doing. But they're also catching um, certain posts and articles and videos and so on that are being spread. And it may just so happen that it shows up on your page as being taken down from you, from your account, but it's actually coming, um, it's being taken down uh, from the original source. And so, of course, that's going to have a ripple effect. And uh, so this is where that whole idea of censorship is coming from. Uh, when it comes to that. So instead of looking at the just the screen part of, hey, they're censoring me, take a look at what's happening behind the scenes and understanding what they're doing behind the scenes to be able to squash this misinformation and disinformation. It is not about censoring any certain people. And so you know, you have all of these marbles and they're trying to pick up these marbles. Um, these yellow marbles as fast as they can, um, and they're all over the place, and they're hard to tell apart. Uh, that's a lot of work. You have to understand that that's a lot of work, and it's very time-consuming. And again, all you know, there's new misinformation and disinformation popping up every day, so they got to keep up with that. And so the other piece of this is that the users have the right to report any misinformation and disinformation on their end. You can click on the post and you can select that you want to report this post and you select that it's spam or, spam or it's misleading or false information, so on and so forth. So think of it as even if you have a friend who posted it or so on and so forth, you're not censoring your friend. You are reporting the misinformation or disinformation that is being you know, spread. And unfortunately it landed, you know, in somebody's, you know, Facebook wall, uh, that, um, that you may know, and it's unfortunate, but our due diligence as users is we need to try to keep, uh, the social media platform, our community and cleaning it up and keeping it intact. So it, it is our role um, to do something about that. So that is one thing that we can be doing to contribute to squashing this misinformation and disinformation instead of just saying, hey, this is false. You can, again, report it. And the more people who report um, a misleading story or false information, uh, the more, of course, Facebook staff will go, oh, we're going to look into this and verify that it is false, that it is misleading, and then we can hunt down the original source and take it down. So that is that, and I hope that helps. Um, so going to media literacy, media literacy itself it, as a study is quite extensive, but I'm going to go into some main concepts and questions to ask yourself when you're exposed to uh, different forms of media, especially those that might be questionable. So this list comes from Media Lit Kit, uh, published by Center for Media Literacy. The link is in my bio on my link tree, so you are welcome to view it, print it yourself. 
So again, I'm going to be reading questions that go along with each of these so you can see how they are applied. So there are five main concepts that we're going to go over, and there are going to be questions to ask in each. One main question and then some um, sub-questions that you can dig into a little bit further. But these five main questions are really, really going to help you um, develop that media literacy every time you are faced with some sort of a media message is what they're called. Okay, And just remember, this can come in any kind of form. All right, so let's go to number one. Um, number one is all media messages are constructed. Media messages, um, are obviously not just popping out of thin air. They're not just being licked down by kittens or created by unicorns and leprechauns. They are created by human beings somehow, some way. <laughs> so the first question would be who created this message? Who presented this message and who is who is um, sharing this message. Uh, asking yourself maybe what kind of text is it? Uh, what are the various elements or building blocks that make up the whole of this message? And how similar or different is it to others of the same genre? Uh, so if it's the same type of, let's let's take a new story. And so all of a sudden, like there's this big headline that's coming from different sources. Read those articles that are coming from different sources about the same event or situation and go, oh, well, I see how they're interpreting it and they're interpreting it this way. So it's really interesting to kind of see the different perspectives or, or the different ways that people are trying to convey a message, um, even though it's the same type of message. And then, of course, what technologies are used in this creation? So, again, is this coming from the radio? Is it coming from TV? Is it coming from social media? So on and so forth. So kind of understanding, okay, where is this coming from? So, again, the main question of this concept, the concept is all messages are constructed. But the first question is, who created this message? understanding where it's coming from, and of course, understanding verifiable sources. And I'm going to go a little bit over that a little bit later, but I did bring up the fact that if you're reading an article that you want to be uh, understanding, um, you know, where, not just where it's coming from, but are you able to see linked sources in the information that you can go to to verify the information of any claims that they're making. Um, can you see this on multiple sources or is it just coming from one source? Um, and is it easily researchable? All right, number two, principle number two or concept number two, media messages are constructed using a creative language with its own rules. So the main question for this concept is what creative techniques are used to attract my attention? So let's focus on the visual because again, chances are, tendencies are, we're social media or TV. Um, there could be perhaps those times where we hear something on the radio or so on and so forth, but um, keep these in mind on a visual uh, landscape here. So what do you notice about how the message is constructed? Um, maybe notice the colors that are being used, any shapes, sizes, sounds, words, or is there silence at any given point? Um, and why? Props, sets, clothing, the movement 
uh, composition or lighting? How is the camera moving? What's the viewpoint of the camera? Um, how is the story told visually? And what are people doing? Are there any symbols or visual metaphors that you see? And what's the emotional appeal? How is it persuasive? What devices are used to make it feel persuasive? And what makes it seem real? And again, um, it may be real or it may feel real uh, even though it's not. Like, uh, you know, especially your commercials. You see those food commercials, chances are they make them look all pretty. Um, it's not real food or they're glazed to look like you know, it's the real thing and it just looks delicious, uh, so on and so forth. Same goes with like, you know, articles and videos and so on and so forth. So pay attention to see how you can pick up how it may make it seem very real. All right. Uh, going on from there, we've got concept number three. Different people experience the same media messages differently. So the question here would be, how might different people understand this message differently from me? Now, I think that number three, concept number three and question number three are going to be your hardest because it's very easy for us to be in our, in our biased state. We are naturally biased creatures. This is normal. Um, but it's hard for us to step out of that, that biased mindset um, and look past our perspective when it comes to anything really. And that's, I think where we're struggling as a society is that we're not allowing ourselves to understand people with different perspectives. And this is where we're headbutt headbutting. But now can we look at maybe the media that is being thrown out there for everybody to see, how can it be interpreted by other people or experienced by other people? Um, and is there anything that you can learn from it? And do you think it can be learned in a different way by somebody else? Um, again, you know, look at different viewpoints, look at different, uh, perspectives or experiences. Um, maybe it affects you differently than somebody else because maybe you've experienced it or you understand it more, um, where you're coming from. So, so on and so forth. Um, and can you explain those different responses? So, I think, honestly, number three is is a good one to really focus on uh, to help us kind of expand ourselves in our way of thinking when it comes to media literacy. It's a good one. Um, and then we have number four, media has embedded values and points of view. So the question here would be what lifestyles, values, and points of view are represented in or omitted from this message? So questions to ask, we're looking at the content. What kind of behaviors or consequences are depicted out of this message? What type of person is the reader, watcher, listener invited to identify with? So who does this identify with? What questions come to mind as you watch, read, or listen? Start, start asking those questions. What ideas or values are being sold to us in this message? So maybe not monetarily, but psychologically. What political ideas are communicated in the message or economic ideas? What judgments or statements are made about how we treat other people? I love that one. What judgments or statements are made about how we treat other people? Uh, what is the overall worldview of this message? 
and what ideas or perspectives are left out? How would you find what's missing? So again, that requires digger, digging deeper. Uh, and then finally, we have the last concept is most media messages are organized to gain profit and or power. So the question now is, why is this message being sent? So who's in control of the creation and transmission of this message? Why are they sending it? And how do you know? What's being sold in this message? What is being told to us? Who profits? Who's making money off of this message? Or who pays for this message? Who is funding this message? Um, who is it served by or benefiting from this message? The public, private interests, individuals, institutions? What economic decisions may have influenced the construction or transmission of this message? So very important. So, you know, maybe take uh, the pandemic, for instance. So we have this, this pandemic, global health pandemic. And now there's so many media sources flying at us left and right and front and back and top and bottom about, you know, mask wearing and social distancing and, um, uh, you know, the vaccine and so on and so forth that right now it's getting jumbled because there is a lot of false information out there. And so it's, it's very important to understand that somebody's taking advantage of, well, you know, we want to help the economy, but is it coming from a biased perspective or is it coming out of the goodness of taking care of everybody, so on and so forth, and informing instead of misleading or fear-mongering, so on and so forth. So those are important to pick up on. All right, so I'm going to conclude this portion of the episode, but I'm going to go ahead and pick this up in another episode. Please tune in because I do have a lot more information to share. Thank you. All right, picking up where we left off with part one of the media literacy episode. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about social media and propaganda, conspiracy theories, so on and so forth. Uh, conspiracy theories, trust me, that's going to take a whole other episode or two or five or 10. Um, and I will touch on that because I used to be involved in conspiracy theories, uh, long before understanding Q and all of that. So it was way before then. Um, but it's good to know, uh, coming from a perspective of somebody who actually delved into conspiracy theories and where I'm at now and why I'm doing what I'm doing. But for now, we're just focusing on this stuff. So, well, going back to social media, the main reason why I got off Facebook was there was this oversaturation of media, but I was able to distinguish what was extremely biased, um, very persuading, and just outright false. And it just started to turn my digital friends into, you know, alligators and crocodiles. You know, they're both similar. They have similar interests and connections, yet the screen just allowed them to snap at each other. And I did become a part of that mess. Um, I was more of the, hey, this is false information. You're spreading false information. But apparently that wasn't, you know, faring so well. Um, so that's when I decided to just step away because what I was doing apparently wasn't useful. Um, 
you know, because I was just disgusted, disgusted. It just like how it just brought out the ugliness in others and even in myself, I guess. So it was a good, it was a good learning experience so forth. And it's been pretty much a year since I've been off Facebook. There are other social media platforms that I do use. They have their own quirks and quirks and advantages. Of course, right now I focus more on TikTok and podcasts because that, um, those media outlets, uh, serve me well for my purpose, uh, which is, uh, providing information and, uh, you know, evidence-based, you know, information and facts and, um, you know, from psychology to science to uh, health and well-being, uh, that's where I'm at with it. So, um, not all social media platforms, uh, are going to be super detrimental, but they can be, they all have their caveats. They all have their weaknesses and that's something to look out for. Now, propaganda and conspiracy led media outlets have scorched social media so deeply in the past eight years, especially recently. And now it really is just a toxic wasteland you know, of those you love and hate all at the same time. You know, sure, I use other forms of social media platforms, but but social from Facebook to me has been the worst. And the term fake news was resurrected strongly by President Trump, taking after the late Ronald Reagan, who also had the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. Um So once there's obviously some rhyming involved here, but once promoting this term fake news, it allowed for creation and spread of propaganda messages, fabricated stories, doctored photos and video clips taking taken out of context or edited to make the content easier to believe. And I'll explain that in a minute. Um, Then. So when things caused a riffle with, the former president, uh, the content, the news content that he didn't like, it was called fake news. And now you can see how uh, propaganda and those conspiracy theories could run rampant, built off the fact that, you know, uh, these, these other sources of news became fake. Now, to clarify, news itself cannot be fake. This is the one thing I want to stress. It cannot be fake. News itself cannot be fake. Propaganda, conspiracy theory talk, those are uh, those are manipulated, but they're still not fake because they are based on one or two facts. I'll talk about that in a minute. But true news itself is just a regurgitation of recent or current events, things that have actually happened or are happening chances are you can turn on your local news station and trust everything that they're delivering. But the minute you change to a major media network or source or website, all the media on the other side is fake. (laughs) But again, that's not possible. It can't be fake, but it can be biased. Obviously, we, we are biased creatures, but it is wise for us to pay attention to the fact that news itself can be biased. It can focus on one end of the spectrum or the other, but there are some news sources out there that actually are in the middle. They are relatively non-biased and fair, but it does not make any of those sources 
fake. Again, propaganda and conspiracy theories have a lot of misinformation and disinformation, especially, and let me clarify the difference between those two, um, based on one or two facts about something or someone. So they do start off with facts, such as Barack Obama's ethnicity and name in questioning his birth certificate, um, Hillary Clinton's emails, the sensitive information became declassified before it was shared. And in question, it was like, should it have been shared at all? Well, the fact that it was declassified when it was shared, you know, was revealed in the trial. And though nothing was uh, done illegally, uh, of course, there might have been some ethical uh, issues in that situation. Um, what about recently with 2020, the huge absentee and mail-in voter increase? So as you see, what had happened is that it was discouraged in the beginning of the elections to even fathom voting by mail uh, because there could be potential mass voter fraud. And then, of course, that was used as a weapon toward the end, saying that there was mass voter fraud, we need recounts, so on and so forth, which obviously out of all the cases um, of all the suits that were open, um, it did not show any kind of mass voter fraud, uh, revealing that absentee and mail-in ballots are actually very, very safe and especially convenient in a pandemic. Um, and then there are, of course, you know, different types of conspiracy theories and propaganda out there. We have 9-11, we have FEMA camps, so on and so forth. The list goes on, but they're all based on some sort of truth. So they can't be dubbed fake either. You even have, I know people have brought up, well, what about the onion? The onion is a satirical news source. So it is still basing it on facts and just twisting it to be satirical um, on purpose. So again, there is no such thing as fake news. Now, I do want to go back to the difference between misinformation and disinformation so uh, you have an understand, a clear understanding of what that is. Misinformation is information being delivered that's incorrect um, by accident. So um, not informing you correctly or something is a little off. But then you have disinformation, which is blatant uh, and intentional uh, false information. So that's, if you hear me say misinformation and disinformation, they're two different things and that's what they are. So a good reference chart for those news networks <laughs> that I was talking about, um, there's a link in my link tree that you can go to. It was com compiled by different people with different partisanships, multi-partisan and non-partisan people. Um, to be able to demonstrate what sources or networks lean left, what lean right, and what tend to be more in the center. You might still have your opinion on, on these, but it is a very helpful tool um, because if you, again, look at who presented this information, it's coming from people who... Um, who are Republican, Democrat, in the middle, all over the place, unbiased, um, and um, and even nonpartisan people, all working together to put this list together. So that's why it's a fair list, may not always be 100% accurate. And we have to remember, too, that even if there is a said network out there, it doesn't mean that every single morsel of it is 
you know, leaning left or leaning right or central. Like for instance, I listen to NPR um, and overall NPR is a very centralized, unbiased platform because they, um, it's listener donated for one (laughs) and they have like underwriting. So they don't really have actual sponsors. They're not funded, um, by like that you don't see the CEO like being like raking in the money and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there are times where I do hear segments where I do catch some, some kind of bias content or, um, leading questions or things like that. But what's great about NPR is that you're going to get a lot of ground zero interviews with the, like, uh, the, uh, actual people involved in an event or situation or experience. And so to me, that's very valuable. That's helpful. So you're not just having uh, information reported by analysts, which does happen. You do have analysts on there and other types of reporters and and journalists, but you are also getting a lot of uh, firsthand interviews, which to me is very helpful and very insightful. Um, In fact, uh, where I'm located, we have our mayor come on um, to our, the local segment of NPR and uh, talk to or answer questions for for our citizens, from our citizens. So that's that's really cool and that's really helpful. So again, there are sources out there that you can actually rely on and that you can trust. Um, but my suggestion, a good suggestion, is not only taking the information that I relayed to you as far as the media literacy concepts and questions, uh, but also when it comes to, let's say this this chart of these news networks that you can look up and pull up, uh, maybe not only pay attention to the content of or an article from a network or a platform that you wouldn't normally associate with and kind of catch um, any kind of biased information, even misinformation and so on and so forth, but also pay attention to the news sources or content or messages that you usually gravitate toward, things that you do favor and support, and try to step back into an objective role, an analytical role, and go, wow, I can see how how that really does lean this way or that way or so on and so forth, or how it can be taken a different way and all of that. So I think it's very important that we are all doing our due diligence and, you know, making sure that we are stepping up our game when we are seeing misinformation or disinformation on uh, different media platforms or some that we're, we can't really control, but for the most part, like when it comes to user content and, and, and accounts on social media and things like that, we can report those. We can do our due diligence there. Uh, Calling out people isn't really the answer. It's more of just reporting uh, that's going to help with that. So that is one thing that we can do to start to reshape things. Because like I said, we shouldn't be in this place to where we have to question everything we read and hear, right? So, (laughs) or see. So we are in a very bad state, very bad state when it comes to this. Um, And we have this freedom of speech. And so, okay, well, how do we have this balance? We're not here to censor or shut down certain people. We are here to stop the spread of misinformation and disinformation. So we have to do our part. So again, reporting um, content that you see. uh, Also being careful of what you share and looking into it first before you share it. Now you have the information from the media literacy concepts and questions that you can ask yourself. 
um, and do your work and researching before you share anything. I know it sounds like a lot of work, but that's kind of where we're at right now is we actually do have to do our work. The other thing that you can do to help, because we also understand that we want more transparency and want, we want stronger representation in our government. I mean, that's a given uh, and all sides I know can agree. Um, and so we really want more fair representation. We want people that are going to represent us and not be in it for the interest of themselves. So how can we make that happen? Well, one, we need to be voting and voting needs to start at the local level. We need to be supporting our community uh, by voting locally. And so when those local elections come, they need to be just as important as that four-year presidential election. You need to put that at the forefront. You need to do your footwork, uh, research the people, research the initiatives, so on and so forth. A ballotopedia is a great source when it comes to trying to understand those different uh, propositions and initiatives and measures and understanding the candidates that are running for these different positions. You can actually get a lot more information kind of in layman's terms to give you an idea of what they're about. And that can be very helpful. So Ballotopedia is a great one. But if you really want to see even a change in our voting system, because I think a lot of people are kind of on board for reform when it comes to our elections and the electoral college. Here's something else that you can look into, ranked choice voting. And this is something that I've probably already mentioned and I will continue to, to mention it. Uh, I'm actually an advocate in Pierce County, uh, my county in Washington state for ranked choice voting. You would be surprised to find out how much legislative work is happening with ranked choice voting. Um, Maine, for instance, is a full uh, state run off of um, ranked choice voting now. They used it in the presidential primaries and general election. And uh, it is actually picking mo picking up momentum in our country. And other countries actually are, have already established uh, a form of ranked choice voting. Uh, Ireland, um, Australia, New Zealand, uh, for a few examples. And they look at us going, why aren't you doing this yet? Um, that would help so much get rid of that concept of voting for the lesser of two evils, having to make one choice, um, having fair representation, having a better party and balance, uh, balance in our parties and representation in our parties and reform of our electoral college. I could go on and on and on about this, and I will talk about ranked choice voting more and more in uh, upcoming episodes, but I just wanted to put those things out there of things that you can actually do to bring change uh, to actually help us be able to trust again. And I know we want to. Uh, a great book that I just got done reading was Trust by Pete Buttigieg. That's a wonderful book. Another book that I've recently read is The Common Good by Rod Robert Reich. So that's very good too. So kind of just goes in with everything. But again, today we're focusing on media literacy. Next, I want to talk about education. Um, I do want to talk about conspiracy theories very, very soon. I promise I will. But I want to lay a little bit more foundation first. And uh, you'll understand why. So the next episode that I'm going to be talking about, it could be lengthy. I might have to do two separate segments. I'm going to try to keep it to one because I don't want these to go too far. But education is huge and can be a major, major solution to um, 
helping our society gain traction again and uh, to help remedy some of these social and political issues that we are facing. So again, if we want answers, we're going to have to look to education. So we're going to talk about that next episode. So keep in mind, just when it comes to media, applying media literacy, be open-minded, be a healthy skeptic. And that means asking questions to actually get answers, not just asking questions to question things. But again, we need transparency in the representation of us. And so, you know, that's where the voting comes in. But you know, we have other things that we can be doing. So I hope this has helped. And if you ever do have any questions, don't hesitate to ever send me an email or anything. Thank you for joining me. Have a good one.